I know that I can't be everything and I want any partner of mine to have everything. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches this a little different, and at its core, our show is about hearing and learning from the different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it's important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect those of our own. It's also important to remember that we aren't doctors or therapists and that we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on this show. One final thing that we need to let you know about is that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. So, if that kind of thing offends you, we suggest you just keep listening until it no longer does. However, if you're under the age of 18, you should probably stop listening or gather up your parents and listen as a family. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 48. We're Finn and Emma. Yes, we are. As normal. <laughs> yeah. So today, welcome. We've got a awesome, awesome interview. This one actually had a pretty, pretty big impact on us in yeah. terms of shaping some of the things that that we want to do in our personal lives in the future. So we yeah, we got done with this interview, and I remember telling Finn, I was like, I just want to scream this from the mountaintops. So it yeah. definitely had a big impact, and we hope you all enjoy it. Yeah. So today we're we're talking with uh, Chris. Smith or Christopher Smith, and he was put in touch with us and and wanted to clarify a couple of things because the interview kind of just jumps right in, uh, basically because we were we had never met him, we'd never even really talked to him, but we were having a conversation with him, and it just sort of made sense to start the interview, and so we just kind of started the interview, and so <laughs> you we mentioned somebody named Crystal, and that was Crystal from episode 38. She put us in touch with both Chris Smith and also Kevin Patterson, who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago on episode 45, so those are both people that, um, you know, that Crystal was able to put us in touch with. And so we wanted to really say thank you to her. Go check out her interview. And then, um, yeah, so so Chris is a, he was in the military. Mm-hmm. He was a former pastor. He has master degree. He's working on his PhD. He's written papers. He speaks at conferences. I know. He's pretty impressive. He's involved pretty heavily in the poly communities. And his personal story is is pretty amazing. So, Definitely don't just listen for the intro, which I know most most of you do. <laughs> I was say pretty much everyone only listens to us ramble, right? I do want to I do want to correct one thing that was said. Uh, he mentioned that when he was talking about having uh, sex or or sexual contact with people and discussing transmission of different things, and one of the things he mentioned was that that. Uh, Herpes or HSV one and two are only transmitted during an outbreak or during a shedding period. I just wanted to throw out a resource, uh, and I was looking this up from the World Health Organization website today because it was something that I I didn't want to like get into it because I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and I just wanted to to keep things moving at the time. Yeah, but it is it is known that you can transmit 
HSV1 and 2 not during an outbreak. So it's it's not as common, and it's not as commonly known. So this isn't like a, uh, he's stupid. It's just uh, it's <laughs> just, just for your information. Yeah. And so I'll link the, the article and the fact sheet from the World Health Organization for everybody to go check out. And, yeah. That, now, we'll, we have a couple quick announcements, and then we'll jump right into the interview. Yeah, don't, don't skip. <laughs> the, the first one is we have a really fun contest going on right now. You can win a $50 gift card to stdcheck.com. Yeah, go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com slash contest to hear all the details on how to do that. And it'll, it's running through the end of March. And so, yeah, get yourself a gift card. And in the meantime, get yourself over and take a look at STD Check. If you've listened before, you know we're huge fans of theirs, and and it helps support the show. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Also, a free, not a free, but a resource that we aren't we aren't being paid to talk about, but we do fully support is the My One Condom Company or MyOneCondoms.com. Mm-hmm. Again, links will be on our website. If you head over there, you get ten percent off your order using the offer code Emma. Emma. And basically, yeah, they have custom fit condoms, which mm-hmm. is pretty badass. So Yeah, they have like 60 sizes or something like that. Yeah, roughly 60, 62, I don't know. So go check that out. We have heard great things. We haven't had the chance to use them yet, but we will as soon as we get home. Yes. Then we will jump over to the interview. I just wanted to say we have one more resource we're going to talk about at the end of the interview. It's a totally free resource, and we're super excited to... And new. Well, it's new, new, new for our promotion. New for our promotion. It's it's totally free. No, no tricks or anything up our sleeve. So stick around to listen to that. But in the meantime, let's go talk to Christopher. Yeah, let's go. I guess we don't we don't really know anything about you other than uh, Crystal said we should talk to you. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let me give a, uh, I guess, a formal introduction. Of course, my name is Christopher Smith. I'm actually a doctoral student at Howard University. Okay. And my studies now revolve around higher education, inclusion, and diversity. Uh, okay. So looking at advocating for uh, multiple relationship structures or diverse relationship structures on uh, university campuses and making spaces for individuals that are non-monogamous, LGBTQ, so on and so on and so on. Wow. Okay. Prior to that, I was getting a doctorate in sociology, which I was supposed to get a master's, long story, whatever. But <laughs> I actually wrote a paper on being black and polyamorous. Um, it's in the Journal of Black Sexuality and Relationships, and it's called Open to Love, Polyamory, and the Black American. Okay, okay. great. So I've traveled around the country and internationally talking about being a, an African-American male and polyamorous, as well as um, the intersection of blackness with masculinity and non-monogamy um, among other things okay. wow based on what you just told us one would assume that you yourself are polyamorous as well or at least non-monogamous in some way shape or form i do i am polyamorous particularly relationship anarchist so i currently have like well here we go with the counting <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll just say a multitude of partners. I used, um, but I'm a local partner, and the crazy thing about that is she's actually monogamous, and that has been an interesting relationship. We were friends first for like four or five years, and one day she came to me and said, "Hey, you know, I want to be your partner," 
And I'm like, what? You want to be? But aren't you, like, completely and utterly? She was like, yeah, but I see how you are in a relationship, and I understand that you're doing this, one, just not for, like, sexual purposes, but you're actually investing in the people that you're in a relationship with. Um, and that really brought her to want to be in partnership with me. Huh. Um, so then I have partner, a partner in Florida. I have a partner, two partners in New York, one uh, male, one female, and a long-distance partner-ish. Well, another partner in Philly, and then a long-distance partner on the West Coast. Wow. So you must travel a lot. I try to. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, traveling around doing speaking and stuff at universities must make that a little bit easier, I suppose. A little bit. In the conferences, like, whenever we, because usually we all are able to meet up at uh, different, like, non-monogamous or relationship-oriented conferences, so it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. How how long have you been exploring non-monogamy and... I guess, how did you get into it to begin with? Um, well, going on seven years, actually, um, this month, uh, it's crazy. I actually started to think that non-monogamy was for me while I was getting a master's degree in religion. Um, wow, okay. And Yeah, so I was studying like Hinduism, Buddhism, yeah. Jainism, Taoism. And I saw that their concepts, particularly Hinduism, not say there as like their monolith, but Hinduism particularly has a very, very open, but still like still organized ideal around relationship. So you'll see like people often, when you think of Hinduism, think of the Kama Sutra, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not a book about sex at all. It's actually a book about how to build relationship. And then how to have sex in that relationship. <laughs> so, like, people often skip over the chapters and chapters that speak about how to, if you're going to particularly, like, try to court another uh, man's, you know, woman. It's still super patriarchal because it's back then. Yeah. But it was still this time, you know. Right. Um, the rules and regulations about how to court and how to show respect and how to build communication and how to make sure that all relationships are fostered and healthy. And then it goes into these are the multitudes of positions that you can use. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I read it for the articles. I know most people don't, but I'm uh... I, That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yo, so in studying that, um, and then I had a very close friend of mine who owned an artist collective. It was called Moizai. It used to exist in D.C. before the space that we had uh, was taken over so a condo could be built. Um, and it was a very free and open space. And we were one day just relaxing, talking about life. And I was expressing to him my desires around relationship. And I remember saying, I was, like, I, just, I, was like, I just really don't feel jealous about stuff. Like, I've seen my girlfriend at the time like talk to other guys, and I'm actually very happy. I feel no fear. I feel no hatred. I feel no disgust. Um, I think I'm weird, man, and I just want that to be the norm. And he turned around in his chair, and he's like, Chris, you're polyamorous, bro. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> I, what? So him and his girlfriend at the time, they proceeded to give me a one-on-one lesson on what it means to be polyamorous. And he has been polyamorous for 14 years. Wow. And this seven years ago. 
So um, it was it was it was eye opening. And then from there, I just started to do my own research, and I knew it was something that I wanted to study because I know that I'm not the only one out there, mm-hmm. um, particularly being a person of color. But because of the pressures of family conservatism and not wanting to be discriminated against in another way, a lot of people are quiet. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so rough, I guess for anyone listening who can't see you and, and I'm not going to guess ages anymore on the podcast. That's putting me in the ass. Cause I always, I always <laughs> screw it up. Do you mind sharing a little bit just about maybe personal background? I know you touched on some of your, yeah, your studies and your, and your accomplishments, but I guess fill people in a little bit more and then, we can kind of get back and talk more about the story. Okay. Um, well, I'm actually, I'm 32 years old. Um, born in 86, the greatest year ever, according hey! to the rap artists. Me too. Hey. Woohoo. <laughs> yep. August 15th, 1986. Um, I actually come from a military family. My father was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom until she started to work in the school system with, well, what Virginia says, emotionally disturbed youth, um, <laughs> which, you know, the full, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, that's, a, that's a different topic. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, uh, so we moved around. I was born in Baltimore, uh, moved then from Baltimore to Alabama. That was a culture shock. Oh, a huge I culture bet. shock. I bet, <laughs> Then to uh, North Carolina, uh, and then Virginia, where I spent every all the way from fourth grade to uh, high school. Uh, we were a very religious family. My dad was a deacon. My mom was an usher. I was on the choir. I went to Bible study. I went to all the things that had to do with Jesus. And and so you never never had relationships like this model growing up. I'm assuming. Oh, no, they were the devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like completely. Any, anything that was outside of the stereotypical American monogamy, I, I had no type of uh, idea of. And if I did hear something of it, it was automatically disparaged as if people were, were sluts and hoes and immoral or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that was the narrative I kind of grew up in. Um, I ended up going to college in 2004 at Howard, and not only was that my first run-in with coming to accept multiple relationship structures, but it was where I started to find myself understand God kind of different. Um, A lot of my friends at the time were homosexual then, and that was like the big, oh my God, like you talk to other guys or other girls and you're okay with it and you're not, oh, I can't do that. And having... You know, having those friends really opened up my eyes to the fact that if a God does exist, that God is more worried about how you love somebody than who you love. Yeah. So that was eye opening for me. Um, Ended up going into the military and then becoming a pastor after college in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Worked under the Pentecostal church. And it was there where I really realized that the way in which we're thinking about relationship and its acceptance, not just societally, but on a spiritual level is wrong. You know, Um, there was no way that I could tell these couples, particularly the young adult ones, which I was over um, or that I was in charge of being a shepherd, whatever terminology um, that 
their love was wrong simply because they had the same genitalia. Yeah. And so did you did you push against that? I'm just curious in in as a pastor? I did. I did. And it, and it got me into some trouble. Um when you're dealing with particularly the Pentecostal church or a Pentecostal adjacent, it's very conservative. Um, and the person who is the pastor or the bishop is seen almost as like Jesus themselves. So if they say something and you're like, uh, but no, you're automatically like, yeah. You're yeah. The, yeah. And so how, how did um, that play out then moving? I mean, obviously you, at some point you said you started to question both the sexuality aspect and then the relationship styles. I, how did that work and how did it how did it evolve um well personally for myself it involved in my own personal exploration i i remember there was a point in time literally when or if i would sexually could and i laugh because i look back at myself like what the heck were you thinking where if i <laughs> like if i were to sexually connect with something or, or an individual or somebody or something period I would literally um, like bow to my knees and start to pray for forgiveness. Wow! And I'm like, but but that was know, so that was and, ingrained in you, right? Growing up, yeah. so that doesn't surprise me. Like that, if when you grow up that way, that is very innate in, inside of you, and you feel a yeah. lot of regret and remorse when you, yeah, go against that. Yeah, and then it actually took um, a young lady. She was bisexual, um, and now she, let me be correct, he now, because transition, uh, later on down the years, we had just, you know, finished having sex and looked at me and said, why do you feel guilty? We both had fun. We both feel so much better now, and we both feel so much closer. Or am I making assumptions? And... I had to really check myself, and this was like 2010. I had to really check myself, and I was like, no, you're right. Like, I am literally guilting myself on something that has built a genuine connection between two people and is good. Uh, And that really, that it was that moment that I can say that really, outside of everything else that's gone on from the interactions in undergrad to to pastoring a church where there were people with multiple lifestyles, that it was that interaction that hit me. It was like, Chris, you're doing something wrong. Like mm-hmm. there, your 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 scope and your understanding is too limited to really one help people as they journey through life because that's always been my passion. But even to be free to the point within yourself where you can actually help people. Yeah. Right. So how yeah. did you transition then? I know we're talking, talking personal, but back, how did you move from being a pastor to what you did next? Was that part of that transition? That was part of it. Um, when that moment happened, I knew I needed to go back and study more in order to be a good you know, person in that role. So I went to Howard University Divinity School and uh, took two years of coursework to get a master's in religious studies with a focus on religion and society. Uh, my favorite class was my world religions class. The professor, when he walked in, first statement, his first statement to everybody, everybody sat down and, and given 
I'm in the class with people my age. I was 25 at the time, and some people who are 60 who have been like pastors or whatever in the church for like 30 years. And he literally looks at us and says, hey, when you're in this class, you leave your Jesus at the door. Wow. Wow. I like that. And I like that a lot, like, too. Yeah. Me, I was like, yes. Hey, leave him. <laughs> <laughs> I left I mine at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like that, you have to leave that so that you can learn because the whole class was about world religions, right? So like you, you need right. to be able to accept and uh, whether you disagree or agree, be open enough to learn about those other religions. Exactly. And even the history of your own, because Christianity or all the Abrahamic religions have a very interesting history that particular churches don't like to, you know, talk about that can in some ways, you know, go against some of the doctrines of the churches themselves. So it's, yeah, you know, so it's, (laughs) it's very interesting. And that was really my shift into my own personal freedom. And that's also, again, when I realized that not just academically, but personally, I need to walk this non-monogamous life out if I'm going to be the most authentic, transparent, honest, and loving person I can be. Mm-hmm. And so is, it, is that when you started sort of exploring it more and then looking into, you know, researching it? And polyamory. Stu- yeah, yeah, polyamory or non-monogamy and, and studying it more and making it a bigger part of your life? Yes, it was actually in 2011 when I when I was in that doctoral, I mean not doctoral, the master's program, that not only did I learn the term polyamory from you know my homeboy, who just was just like, bro, you're tripping, like you're polyamorous, get over. It. <laughs> <laughs> and and then after knowing that, I started to go after communities and search for it, um, and and try to perfect it in whatever style that I could. Oh, it was a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to ask, what did you know when when your friend looks at you and tells you that? What do you? What's the first thing you do? I mean, it's not like he just handed you the keys to a new car, right? You've got to then figure out what what you're going to do with that. Oh, he no, no, he handed me the keys to a new car, but he didn't tell me it was stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> so you went, went through a lot of clutches, did you? <laughs> oh, I stalled out so many times. <laughs> it, the relationships then, and it, it was at the time I was on and off with a young lady who clearly wanted to be monogamous with me. But I remember saying to her, I was like, look, I, I can't be this. And I let her, well, not even I let her, I made the decision to try to make her happy. So I was like, okay, I'll be monogamous, even though I knew I could not be. And I ended up cheating. Like, I already knew I was non-monogamous, but I wanted her to be happy, and she was annoying me. So (laughs) I did it. Um, And I remember that day, because that was a day where I knew that I'm never going to say that I can be monogamous with somebody again. Not because I don't think monogamy is a great form of relationship, but people can walk it out in integrity and honesty and transparency and authenticity. Like, it can be great for some people. My parents have been married for like 35, going on 800 years, <laughs> and I'm happy for them, you know, and they've been monogamous to each other, to what they tell us, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but I remember that conversation I had with her, and I was so nervous about it. I literally, like, looked her in the eye and said, hey, look, I cheated on you. 
I feel bad for breaking a promise, but I don't feel bad about the connection with this person. And I don't quite know what that means, but I know that means this. I can't be monogamous. And if that's what it takes to for me to be with you, then I'd rather have you go and find somebody else who can give you what you want. But it, it, it can't be me. And I remember her looking at me like, wow, he's like serious, serious. And after that, I was like, hey, you can like call me a dirtbag because I cheated on you. I'm the worst man in the world. I'm trash because I deserve it. I broke a promise. I said I was going to do something and I did not do it. But it was crazy. Like we ended up continuing to talk for five or six years later. Wow. Because of that transparency and honesty until she was just like, okay, I tried. I can't do it. You know, so on and so forth. I'm going to go on with my life. Yeah. All right. But I give you a lot of credit for being transparent about it and coming out and having that hard conversation. You didn't hide it for a long time and then and make her wonder too. Like I, even if that conversation was difficult for both of you, it's, I think I, I truly believe honesty is the best policy most of the time. So even though it's difficult, that's awesome that you were able to have that connection and communication for years to, after. Yeah. And, and so at that point you were, starting to figure out how to navigate multiple relationships. And, and you mentioned earlier that it's, it's not just about the sexual aspect for you, I guess. Do you mind talking a little bit about what, what your relationship style sort of looks like and, and how you, how you navigate it? Okay. Well, in my relationships, generally, I'm very non-binary. Um, and I, thoroughly despise patriarchal gender roles. So in all of my relationships, I'm very open to negotiation, conversation, and discussion of expectation. Um, of course, to one partner, I'm, I'm one thing, and to another partner, I'm something else. But I don't walk in with this, I'm just going to be this to everybody mentality, because I know that's not what I feel relationships should be about. So for me, in like in my anarchy, I'm with my nesting or not my nesting partner, with my local partner. Um, I'm very much so a close friend and and lover to her. Um, but also, like I've experienced way more life than she has, which is very interesting because we're the same exact age, like literally. Mm-hmm. But I've been in the military. I've traveled. I've done a, more than she has in just life experience. So I find myself often answering questions that she's like curious about, like, hey, what is that? I'm just like, yeah, that's that. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she, to me, is a very, 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 very strong support um, because we were friends first. And how we met, I was at an internship working for the government, and so was she. Okay. And it was one of those, we walk into a room, and immediately I'm like her, <laughs> like it was just that. So I go to the back of the room with all the boys, and of course we're like, "Oh, this person's cute," and da 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 da. And I look at all of them. I'm like, "Hey, I know this is gonna sound very monogamous, but that she's mine. That is who <laughs> I just want to know. Like back, 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 back." Um, so we ended up. I go out and I invite her out. 
And I tell her, this is how I usually do. I, I say straight up, I'm like, hey, I think you're very beautiful. I'm attracted to you. But I want you to know that I'm polyamorous. And and we can talk through that. And she very nicely was like, I don't know what that means. Let's talk about it. So we spent literally two hours and three drinks, as we're sipping slowly, um, talking about it. And after the discussion, she literally looked me in my eyes and said, look, I think you're a great person, but I don't know if I can do that. And then, you know, years later, hey, here we are. Uh-huh. Um, so it's always a, with her, it's a, it's a back and forth. Like she broke up with me three times throughout like the year of our relationship so far. Cause she's like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And then she'll come back and be like, I'm sorry. I was being rash. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and then back and forth, back and forth. And to the point I was like, look, you have to stop breaking up with me. If, if we're going to be friends and only be friends in that way, which I really think is the basis of any relationship period is friendship, then I'm cool. But if anything else, you know, emotional or romantic as a lot of people get into say, get becomes involved and you can't handle it. I will make sure that I will not feed it in any type of way. Um, and we progressed to the point where literally this Thanksgiving, I met her entire family. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. And and so, so Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it was good. No, so you, so it's you are at the point with her that you could shut it off and say, you know what, we're our friendship is paramount to anything else we have, but obviously there's more there as well mm-hmm. if if she's willing and and open for it, right? Yeah, well, right now we're at, we're actually building that emotional. We we've decided to keep it shut on. I've I've come to find that in my poly journey. If I prioritize friendship as the base, friendship is the most flexible type of relationship I feel exists. It can take so many forms, if not overshadowed by other things. Mm -hmm. So for me, in my relationships, whether they're sexual or not, whether they get to emotional death or not, whether they get to a mental death or not, I want to build a friendship with somebody where I know that with each other, we can be transparent, authentic, honest, and vulnerable because you're not always going to think the same person you're, I honestly believe you're not always going, you may not always feel the same way you always felt about somebody your entire life. Right. Things are going to change and it comes with life. And I've seen it in, you know, monogamous relationships. I've seen it in non-monogamous relationships. But if you maintain that friendship, no matter how that change is, that relationship, that big R relationship is still there. Yeah. And you don't know what can thrive and come from that. Right. Have have you, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people would, would love to strive for, but I think there's, it's easy, it's easier to once you move from friendship into relationship. I know that's, that's how a lot of people lose friends. What, what type of you know, if if the relationship doesn't work out, it's really hard to go back. How have you found ways to walk back and forth across that friendship relationship sort of threshold? Well, I it was actually in the sociology program. I thought of this um, looking at relationship. Literally, everything is a relationship. Like the minute we begin to converse, we all three are now in relating to each other. Mm-hmm. That's the big R. You know, that's the R that 
the universe is. All the other little R's, like the titles we give it, the type of interactions we place on those titles, so on and so forth, are those little R's. I just happen to give more weight to the big R than these other little R's that we create through our societies, through our mindsets, so on and so forth. So when I, this has recently happened, I had a nesting partner that moved away uh, and we kind of broke off. And for me, it's just like, hey, we can still talk, chill, hang out, so on and so forth. It's whatever. I just know that we can't and probably won't be engaging in certain activities and conversations. I'm completely okay with that. Mm -hmm. Looking at the big R for me, I focus on the big R. Her, on the other hand, she's having an extremely hard time with it. (laughs) Well, I said what I think I was going to get at was even if you're able to to navigate that personally, there's there's two at least – at least two of you in this relationship. And so how, how has it gone for you in terms of you're still there saying, Hey, we're still friends. And it sounds like it doesn't always end up a two way street. Um, patience, a lot of patience, a lot of humility. A lot of people in that circumstance would try to be extremely self-righteous and say, well, if I can do that. Why can't you? And why can't you think like I do? And da, 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 I, I, I don't do that. Um, but also a lot of self-healing. It hurts. It hurts to know that you still would like to connect with somebody in some type of way, and either they're unwilling or incapable or unaware. And it, it's, a, it's a hurtful thing, and it can be. And that's the biggest piece in, for me. It's handling the pain of separation, even though to you and your heart and your mind, you're still connected. Um, so the best way I handle that is, one, respecting people's autonomy. Um, you don't get over what one could call loss or separation easy. It's not like a one-step fix. You pop this pill and all of a sudden you're happy and joyous. Right. Um, it takes time, you know? Yeah. So every day I know I just meditate on the things of like, hey, people have their autonomy. Simply because this person doesn't want to connect with you the same way you want to connect with them. It still means that you're of worthwhile and you're still a good person and you're still worthy of friendship and you're still worthy of love. Because it's easy to and also conditioned to beat yourself up when somebody doesn't want to connect with you the way you want to connect with them. And all it becomes it becomes like a self-loathing feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's really just being aware of that, making sure you don't fall. In, I don't fall into those toxic mindsets and respecting the other person's autonomy and allow time to do its healing as it does if we're diligent. Right. Yeah. I think that's really in, uh, inspiring to think about. Well, I was curious when you started off down this path, did you go right into the relationship anarchy model or did you kind of work your way through different different sort of strategies? I know people talk about hierarchical and non-hierarchical and all of some some different terminology around this. What did it look like for you out of the sort of out of the gate and has it evolved over the last seven years? Oh man, no, out of the gate I just went for it. <laughs> <laughs> I just went I went straight relationship anarchy. Did you? Okay. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I thought about doing a hierarchical, but I have a one again with with hierarchy. We have to be careful, and I'm okay, you know, 
people are hierarchical. That's their thing. I don't yuck anybody else's yum. I just know for me, when it comes to hierarchy, that means that I have to, one, trust that that person is aware enough of their own toxicity to know when they're expecting something of me that is not fair. And being and have that like ability to dissect their own mind and say, like, oh, no, I'm actually acting out of fear at this point, and I'm limiting my partner from something because I'm fearful. And that's not fair. Like, there are three reasons outside of wanting to be well, two reasons outside of just wanting to live authentically that I chose to jump into ethical non-monogamy or polyamory. Uh, one was the transparency. The second reason was I disliked the fact that I saw daily people projecting their toxicities on other people and calling it a relationship. Like I did not like that somebody could have a veto power over you and did not really think of what was best for their partner, but more so what makes them comfortable. Right. I think for me, that's the most selfish thing somebody can do to say, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this. So therefore you can't do this with somebody else. What does your discomfort have to do with me? (laughs) Like what? What? Yeah. You know, it, it, it baffled me literally. And, um, uh, what really solidified me with this, and every time I say this, my mom freaks out like, oh, my God, I turned my son Polly. But <laughs> I remember we were in the kitchen one holiday, and I just saw she was kind of like, you know, lumbering around and so on and so forth. And I was like, Mom, what's going on? And she just broke down crying. And this is the – my mom is a strong woman. She bore four kids, worked with emotionally disturbed youth in a very – classes and racist school system uh was married to a marine of all people to be married to for <laughs> upward like 500 years father was green um came from a abusive household and even while she was carrying me had cancer and decided to still carry me wow so strong woman strong woman broke down crying i'm like mom what's wrong this was around the same time her health started to, you know, fail a little bit. She was just like, I just feel like my entire life and my entire marriage, I've never got to do what mm. I've wanted to do because my, your father, what I had to follow your father. Wow. And I saw the tears coming from her eyes and I just hugged her. And it was at that moment, it was solidified in my mind. I'm like, I am never going to project my want off of my fear, my own toxicity onto a partner of mine. And if I do, God help me, I am going to do all that I can to make sure I fix it as fast as possible. Because I never want a partner of mine to say years down the road that, oh, Chris limited me from something. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm curious, too, on that and how how do you combat the the flip side of having a partner who wants to do those things for you? And I would assume, you know, for much of your parents' relationship, right, she didn't, she didn't necessarily feel like she was being dragged around. She probably wanted to go because she wanted to be with him and she wanted to do this. And I think that's something that we can all look and say, like, oh, I want to be with my wife. I want to be with my husband. So how do you balance between you don't want to make them feel that way, but at the same time, it's 
it's sort of out of your control. Correct. Um, I actually had that conversation with my monogamous partner. Um, I call her, I call her Mono Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a couple of weeks ago and I looked at her and I said, listen, whatever it is that you want to do with me or for me is your choice, but just know I only want the things from you that I specifically ask of you and you have full freedom to do anything else that you want. Well, what if it's that I want to do this? Fine. That's, that's cool. But just know what I specifically want are these things. Cause I'm not going to take away. And that's always the biggest, I'm actually going to write a book on this, how to navigate like polymono relationships. Um, Cause I never want to take somebody away from their authenticity. Like if she is authentically wanting to live in that way, it, and also that monogamous relationship doesn't mean that you have to subject yourself to the whims of your partner. That's mm-hmm. also, uh, I think, a farce and a fallacy that is toxic in monogamy, but it's so ingrained into how we operate it that it's not really sussed out in question. Because mm-hmm. um, you can perfectly be in monogamous relationships and look at your partner and say, hey, look, if you want to do that, I'm not down with it. And we can still be together, but if you want to move to Cali, I'll stay in New York. Or if you want to do this, because I mean, and I guess I'm more comfortable with that concept because I grew up in a military family. So right. the idea of one parent being somewhere and another parent being somewhere was like, okay, cool. He or she will be back, you know, or they, however, whatever pronoun they use. Mm-hmm. I just, so for me, I, it's still, I, I, I still affirm all of my partner's powers to choose even if they're like, well, I want to do whatever it is that you want. I'm like, well, that's, that's your choice. I will tell you if I'm uncomfortable with that or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think one, one question that I, I thought of while you were talking about that is around the topic of uh, safety and, and safer sex within your relationships. And is that something that, you know, it sounds like you're, basically is anarchal anarchistal i don't know the right word (laughs) you're about as much of an anarchist as one could be do you have these negotiations with your partners in terms of you know i practice safe sex across the board or maybe she wants you to practice safe sex but you don't want to and i guess how do you navigate this because it's a it's a complicated thing when everyone is on the same page, but if if you're sort of down the anarchy path, I can imagine it gets a little more chaotic. Yeah. Uh, well, I hate condoms. I will definitely be honest and say that they are the bane of my existence. <laughs> uh, but I am very careful because I know that I don't like that form of protection. Um, I always have conversations before and or after about sexual history. Like literally, I remember many times I'm hot and heavy in the situation. It's just like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you have anything? Does anybody you talk to have anything? When was the last time you had protected sex, unprotected sex? And the people were like, wait a minute, we were about to, I'm like, I know, I know. 
but I have to have this conversation because there are people that I'm responsible for in my actions. And that's the way that I carry it. Like, I'm happy to say in the seven years of operating like this, I've had no mishaps, which is amazing. Um, and I, I, I cool. <laughs> like, it's cool. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Mm-hmm. But, I'm, you know, but I, because of the intentional conversation, and that is the requirement for anybody I am in partnership with or in relationship with, there has to be intentional conversation about what this is or what that is. And if you're not comfortable having that intentional conversation, let me know so I can decide whether I'm comfortable being physically interactive with you. Mm-hmm. And I've had to tell a partner that was not comfortable with that conversation. I like, we can hang out, we can chill, we can be emotional, but I'm not comfortable being physically interactive because I don't think you're taking the proper steps to protect not only yourself, but myself and everybody I'm connected to. And, and so being that it sounds like you are less apt to use condoms, do you, do you get tested more frequently and do you talk with your partners about that more frequently than you would if, if you were, or do you have other forms of protection that you typically use? Yeah. And there's other forms, uh, well, particularly birth control, but some have like IUDs, female condoms, so on and so forth. Um, but yes, every three months, like clockwork, I'm tested. Um, if there's something questionable because some stuff shows quicker, I'll wait like a week and a half or two. I'll go get tested. I'm very, very careful about health because from an advocacy point of view, and as somebody who wants to be an advocate for non-monogamous relationship structures, I know that's going to be one of the most frequently asked questions. And I want people to know that this is just not a free-for-all, even though it could be. But even in the free-for-all, we are still thinking about how this can impact our lives and our health. Um, so, yeah, every three months I share my results. If a partner has something, like I have partners who have um, who have uh, herpes, we make sure that they're on the right medicine and that we're not doing anything interactive during a flare or anything because that's when it's transmitted. Um, so researching STI transmission and how long it lasts and so on and so forth. While being the last seven years, I swear I could teach any sexual health class that exists <laughs> anywhere. Well, yeah. that probably better than a lot of the information that's out there. <laughs> exactly. No, I think, I think it's, I mean, we really appreciate you sharing sort of how you navigate that because I think when somebody hears that you have this many different relationships and then, that and not not to say that you don't use condoms, but that it sounds like it's maybe not your go-to strategy. I think a lot of people would be shocked to hear that, and so hearing that one that that's sort of true, but also that you've done it for seven years successfully is is also comforting and and a good mm-hmm. a good advocate for that. Yeah, and everyone approaches it differently. This is just the way you, you approach it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm an advocate for, you know, all protections. If people want to use them, I'm just at risk management. Like, know yourself, know your risk, and, and make sure that you're doing to the best of your ability all that you can to protect yourself and your partners. And 
just like relationship protection looks different for everybody. Right. Right. And you, you touched on earlier that your, your mom was concerned that she turned you poly. I was going to ask that question too. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like they, they are aware that you are in non-monogamous relationships. Oh yeah. They've met, well, they've met two, my, my ex-partner and now my still current partner actually took them to my brother's wedding and they met them individually as well. It was one, I enjoy those moments because <laughs> like, it's not like a show off, but it's kind of like a, uh, told you it's possible. Ha ha ha. <laughs> like they, uh, yeah, my entire family knows. Um, I, I remember the day I told my mom and dad and my dad started laughing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It was just it was just like the hardiest laugh I've ever heard come from my father. And my mom was like, nope, can't do it. Your dad's penis is mine. And I'm like, uh, didn't need to know that, but thank you. <laughs> it's been one second, you know? We all understand. That's your penis. <laughs> um, my brothers and sisters, ironic not I would say ironically, but uh Another topic I also want to look into is the sometimes the tension between or the tension of putting non-monogamy or polyamory or ethical non-monogamy into the sexuality category when there are a lot of people with varying sexualities that aren't non-monogamous. Yes. And that's why I'm not when people say it's a sexual orientation, I'm like, no, 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 no. There are people in non-monogamy that are asexual. That that it's you can be pan and you can be poly, you can be pan, you can be mono. You can yeah. it's not the same thing. So my older brother and sister are both homosexual, but they are avidly against non-monogamy. So I remember coming out to them and they're like, What is this bullshit? What are you talking about? Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm literally baffled, like, didn't you just get rights like two years ago? How dare you? Try to tell, like, you've been fighting to be recognized your entire life or something, and your own brother is coming with his own identity, and you're not supporting me? Trash. Like, that was literally my response. And it's been, in the seven years, I just like they had to experience, and they've actually came back and apologized since then, um, saying that they had to see that, no, I was actually serious about this. Like, this isn't just a ploy to have a lot of sex. This isn't a ploy to be a pimp. This isn't, this is actually something I'm walking in day to day in, in full authenticity. Um, my cousins, they're just like, hey, I think it's cool. It's whatever. Um, my grandmother has dementia, so I don't know if she even remembers. <laughs> like, you have know. to tell her every day. <laughs> Right. And by the way, these are all my partners. What? Okay. Um, <laughs> we, should, we shouldn't be laughing about that, but <laughs> should it? But you know, sometimes you have to. Sometimes helps yeah. you get through. Yes, exactly. Uh, so it, it's been, it's been a um, with my family. It's been interesting with my friend group and my circles of friends that I did have. Some do and did have. That was probably the hardest because I did lose, quote unquote, a lot of friends. People, I literally had married couples that I used to go out with often no longer want to spend time with me um, because they felt threatened. Particularly the guy 
that, hey, I'm going to, oh, he's just, he doesn't respect relationship. But I'm like, no, I'm actually, because I'm honest, I'm not going to go after somebody who's in a monogamous commitment because I respect relationship. This is why I'm poly, because I want that relationship to be respected and I want boundaries to be respected and I want people to be authentic. And then I also look at these same dudes and they're like cheating on their wives every other day. So I'm like, uh, maybe I shouldn't be hanging around you all anyway. But so I've, I've lost friends. And um, and also because I also operate in a very non-gender type way. And that was also, that's the, the final reason why I walked into polyamory. I hate, I and I often don't use the word hate, but I literally hate the binary gendered constructs that are in the hypocrisy that comes with relationship. It really breaks my heart that if I talk to multiple people, whether man or woman, male or female, I'm seen as something in that if a woman identifying individual does it, they're seen as something else. And I don't like, the fact that that's replicated over and over and over and over. That's why I know personally I can never be polygynist. Like I, I want my partners to be happy. And if I can't give them particularly what it is they need in entirety by their choice, then go get it. Like, please go get it. I know I can't be a six foot five basketball player. I'm five nine. I'm never going to be that. Mm-hmm. I don't speak French. I can barely understand Spanish, and I took six years of it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. like I, I, I know that I can't be everything, and I want any partner of mine to have everything. And I was actually my my male partner of mine, and who lives in New York. We're having the same discussion. He was like, Chris, that's so admirable that like you've met my other my other male partners and you all kick it off so easily. I'm like, yeah, like I'm I want you to have everything. And if I can't give it to you, dang it, go find it. Just it just make sure our agreements stay the same or if they're not going to let me know so we can have a conversation and make the alterations that we need to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think I think that's uh, something that we all should strive for. Yeah, in, in my I, exactly. I agree. And it's it's not everyone's human nature, right? Like, it sounds like a lot of this has come very easily to you. And some people, I think, probably struggle with the jealousy a lot more than they want to. Yeah. Well, and I think you want well, to be somebody's everything. Right. And to admit that you can't be is... is uh, it it's hard on your self-confidence exactly and especially if it's something that you want to be like sure there's certain things that i know i can never be and i don't care about but if there's certain things that i want to be that i can't be i think that's where people have have a hard time and i guess have, have you struggled with that at all in terms of like oh i thought i thought i was filling that role and all of a sudden you learn that you weren't actually filling that role and they had to go find it somewhere else. And that, that stung a little. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. I've, I have dealt with that throughout the seven years of, of living um, polyamorously. And 
some have been more difficult than others. Um, and because particularly I, I find myself or I would like to think of myself as somebody who's very reliable. And when a partner came to me and said, hey, I really can't rely on you for this particular thing that I thought I was very reliable on. It was just like a <clears throat> to the chest. Like I felt I felt like a huge cannon hit my chest and I like lost my breath. I'm like, no, who am I? Am I of worth? Why am I here? Oh my God, I should just be monogamous, you know? <laughs> yeah, because it, it just, yeah, yeah it, stamp, it uh, I guess, stomps on your self-confidence in that moment. Yeah. And it and it hit hard. Um, and it's something like it happened, what, now three years ago? And up to about six months ago, it still was hitting me because I was just like, this person, I don't even partners anymore. But it was still like, oh my God, like, I'm not this person. And, and the way that through those two years and a half, I've been trying to deal with it in a way that I'm learning to deal with it now um, is really for the two and a half years, I was, I, I did the very wrong thing of then trying to prove in every other relationship that I'm the super reliable person to the point of stressing myself out and not giving myself enough time for self-care. Mm-hmm. So I've always tried to be there for everybody, be the emotional pillow for everybody, be the person to converse with for everybody. And it literally drained me. And then I remember six months ago, I was literally like, I, I can't do that. And I just have to accept that by limitation. And not only that, that limitation or that that person expressed, it was just a limitation for that person. And how dare I apply that to every other piece of my life? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's like, like going on, like the, the race part, like I'm a, I, I am categorized by the United States as African American or black American. Right. Mm -hmm. In my ethnic background, mm -hmm. I have Irish, British, native American, Congolese, uh, Ghanaian, Jamaican, that is so much of makes up so much of me in my cultural understanding. I've lived in the South, the North, the Northeast. I've been to Canada, Mexico, St. Thomas. I lived in Hawaii, you know. So how dare I just take this one thing that was labeled on me and apply it to every piece of me that existed and every relationship that existed? And really thinking about that in the race versus ethnicity versus experience way helped me understand that simply because you're not one thing to one person, it does not disqualify you from being that same thing to somebody else, you right. know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in, in that discovery, you touched on something else that I wanted to ask about, which was you sounded like you ran yourself dry trying to handle all of these different pieces and, and prove this how do you manage your time and it sounds like yeah. that that became a problem up until about six months ago and probably still is at times but. yeah you're a student right. and, and and trying to manage everything else just life in general yeah um I returned to the excessive use of Google Calendar. <laughs> <laughs> which, is a, which is a great tool. <laughs> oh, 
sentencing tool. Um, but I made I made the habit of protecting myself and my energy. So I literally will send a mass. I really like sent a mass message out to every partner I had at the time. Like, look, I love you all. I'm burnt out. I need to take care of me so I can be better partners for you all. So if that means I don't communicate with you all the time. It just has to be like that. And if that's not okay with you, maybe we shouldn't be partners, but I want to be the best partner I can. So I'm going to be distant sometimes. You may not hear from me for a week or three days sometimes because I'm taking care of everything I need to take care of. But if you're willing to stick through it with me, I'm glad to still have you as my partner. And actually, all of the partners but one were okay with it. Hmm. Can I can I ask why the one wasn't okay with it? Um, Because she she really needs a lot of attention. Okay. That is one of her things for her partnerships. She's really, she's more of the hierarchical type. Mm -hmm. So she wants that, like, this person all the time type thing. Um, But also, she grew up single kid, spoiled. She's used to always getting attention. (laughs) And I'm just like, I'm the youngest of four. Get over it. (laughs) 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 You know? So she just, she couldn't, she couldn't. She couldn't agree to it. Um, and, you know, I'm very sad that relationship ended in that in that manner. Um, but I know that if, and that's the other thing, understanding that if you just try to press through things sometimes, it can do more damage than help. It's okay just to step away and say, hey, um, that this is where our relationship can grow to to the point and maybe we should just keep it here. On, a, on another interview, was, I said that longevity does not always equal health mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And, yeah, like we we are taught that the longer the relationship lasts, the more healthy it is and the more admirable it is. No. Like if you have a three-second relationship with somebody and it's super healthy, that was a great relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the the one we've heard on that is, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it was a failure, right? And kind of along exactly. those same lines. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I think that. Uh, yeah. We I was could, like, "There's we could keep talking forever. Yeah. I could ask you a million more questions." And, but and, <laughs> and with that in mind, I was gonna just say that I I hope we can have you back on for a, a part two and a part three because I think that having to cut this short for, for your time and letting you get on with what you need to do today will probably frustrate a lot of people because we're sort of like in the middle of a conversation and, and to, to cut it, but um, hoping you'd be willing to come back on and, and we can discuss that further more. But um, maybe before we let you go for part one of seven, how, how, <laughs> do you, do you have any final things that you wanted to convey or or get out there to the to the listeners and maybe once again maybe the name of your paper and and the name of some some of the research you're doing so people can look into that to to hold them over until next time. Well, uh, 
Um, definitely. I look forward to the other seven parts. We still have to dissect like the intersection of sexuality, race, I know, social. Ex- exactly. Uh, we didn't get into any of that. It might be. It might be a twelfth <laughs> part then. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. Any final things? I. I under. I always say to anybody who's listening, like walk your journey, and it's not going to be easy. You're not always going to be supported, but know you're not alone. And try to entrench yourself in people who are advocates for you. Um, find your local poly communities. Find them on the internet. You have Black and Poly. You have Poly Discussion. You have Latinx and Poly. You have Poly Here for the Fun. You have all these meetups. Like, don't be, I can't say don't be afraid. Be courageous. You know, be courageous. Take those steps. Live your love. Love your life and love those around you. Um, and when you're feeling down and when you know that you feel like you're being beat up and ostracized and so on and so forth, always remember that your capacity for growth and connection is only limited by your own fear. Like as a, as a male, as a black male, as a black male that's pansexual and a black male that's polyamorous, I, I face four different things at all times. And then also being a father you know, of a nine-year-old. I faced so many things. And if it wasn't for my relationships with these different people, I don't think I'd be able to make it through. So like, don't give up, keep fighting. Yeah. I think, I think that's all amazing. And, and then you drop in there that you're a father. Yeah. We didn't even touch on that. And now we have to add another three parts to the series. So, but no, I think that's all amazing. And, and for anyone listening to hear that through all of this, that you are juggling those things, that's, I think that's admirable and and incredible. So it sounds like you're being really true to yourself and how you want to live your life and you're living life with purpose and with, um, compassion. And that's awesome. That's amazing. And so maybe finally, just to let people know again how they can find some of your your research and anything else, maybe if you want people to get in touch with you or not. And then, yeah, we'll let you go have the rest of your evening, and we will talk soon. Definitely. Um, well, my Instagram handle is very simple. It's at smithchristopherin. You can see all my shenanigans there. Um um, my article that I wrote again is called "Open to Love: Polyamory in the Black American." It's in the Journal of Black Sexuality and Relationships. Um, also have podcasts out there with Cutting Minks and Kitty Chain Bliss as well. Um, they're Googleable. Just type in Chris Smith Polyamory, and I guarantee you, I'll be the first one to pop up. And also, we Kevin Patterson and I are working on a series who's really big in Philly. He's like the big brother slash brother slash. That's my soulmate. Like I love that man with <laughs> my heart. Um, and I think our kids are going to end up getting together, which is weird because his daughter's eight, mine's nine, my son's nine. So it's like they played together one time. They had googly eyes, and I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, second gen Polly, but um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, Look out for uh, his and I stuff. Um, also with Bex Caputo, we often travel to different conferences and we talk about masculinity and polyamory um, from the black male pansexual point of view, from the 
black male exploring married point of view and from the transitioning now white men point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a great series to listen to. We often shake up a lot of people and throw out perspectives that people really haven't heard of or are, are hip to. So uh, look out for all of that. Kevin has a book out. It's called Love Is Not Colorblind. It is a great book. Please go read that. Um, and in July of next year, there's a conference called Poly Dallas Millennium in Dallas run by Ruby Johnson, who is a, a great social worker um, and is one of the few black women in the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and uh, all these words for people who talk about <laughs> sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that conference is amazing. Um, and Kevin and I and a bunch of other great scholars and lifestyle advocates will be presenting there. Okay, great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I think that yeah, this was a little bit different interview than our what we've done in the past, although actually... I, I don't think so. No, you touched on a lot of really amazing things. And just yeah. thank you so much for your time. And we'll put links to everything you mentioned as well uh, in our show notes so yeah. people can easily find you. And, of course. And go enjoy the rest of your evening. And again, we will be in touch Yes, thanks again. No problem. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. We're back. Yeah, and thank you, first of all, to Christopher. Thank you to Crystal as well for putting us in touch with him. And, yeah, we look forward to episodes 2, 3, 4, 5, (laughs) 6, 7, and 8 that are coming up with him in subsequent versions. Versions. Uh, yeah, super fascinating, and can't thank him enough for sharing everything and for the work he does. Yeah. As promised at the beginning of the episode, I told you about a free resource, or as I like to call them, free sources. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, basically, for anybody who's listened to episode 29, they know that we are traveling the world. We quit our jobs. We somehow have been able to budget to do that. And one of the things that we do to do that is we use a website called Personal Capital. Yep. It's We've been using it for years and years and years. It's totally free. There's, like, paid things you can do. I've never paid for anything. No, we and, get everything we need just by using the yeah. free website. So no reason to pay, but it basically lets you track your money, track your spending, create budgets, and do all the things that, that allow us and allow you to... Keep track of your money better, save money, and maybe budget out some money so you can do things like Desire or Hedo or yeah. Swinger Parties. And you can see uh, how much how much am I spending on on this partner and that partner and that partner. <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a really cool. Yeah, thing. you could. I think the biggest thing for me is you can see all your accounts in one place, so you can see your credit cards and your bank accounts and everything, and so you can. It's a snapshot of your entire financial right everything in one spot. Yes. So, so go to our website. Check it out, Personal Capital. Yep, and there will be links on the homepage, links on the resource page, links in the show notes. And our website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Yeah, that's usually my job. Well, I know, but you didn't do it in the intro. (laughs) That's because it was long enough. (laughs) Uh, You could also find us on Twitter and Instagram under the screen name NNM Podcast and on Casty under the same screen name. Next week, we have a really fun interview with Toward Souls, some of their podcasters. Yeah, fairly new podcasters. Same-sex female couple, both bisexual. So, fellas, 
you're not counted out this time. <laughs> but Everyone's going to want to listen to that one. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. And thank you for supporting the show. Yes. Have a great week. Bye, everyone.